let's talk about making love. No, not that kind of making love. Did you know that the average person only spends half a percent of their life having sex? Here at Making Love Today, we learn from couples about what they do with the other 99.5% of their time to create meaningful, deeply fulfilling, and long-lasting relationships. So listen up as we hear what our guest couples do outside the bedroom to make their love work. And now, here's your host, Patrick Perkins. Hey, everybody. Welcome out to another episode of Making Love Today. This is our leveling up episode number 12. I'm your host, Patrick Perkins, here once again with my wonderful co-host, Ann Brown. If you have not done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast, and that way you can always know whenever any new episode comes out. Additionally, if you have any couples that you would like to hear on this podcast, send us an email at podcast at rekindlelovetoday.com. For a couple today, just a quick recap, Philip and Andres is our first LGBTQ couple that we've had on the show. It was great to be able to hear things from maybe a little bit different perspective than a lot of the couples that we've interviewed to date. Philip is a writer and Andres is a therapist. And if you've been following along at home, you may recognize Andres's voice because this is actually the second time that he's been on the podcast. He originally joined us for one of our special Love in the Time of Corona bonus episodes. So if you haven't heard that, be sure to go back and check that one out. One thing that really stood out to me about these two, how they talk several times about not having a template to follow. And I think that's true of all of us to an extent. But as they said, there are just a lot of cultural and social expectations in relationships that they're not able to fall back on and they're not really able to default to. It sounds like in some ways that's a great thing because they're able to really build something that's uniquely theirs. But at the same time, it also sounds like there's a whole lot of difficulty there as well. What would you say about that? Well, it really is interesting. All couples have things that they go through, but they were very candid about cultural pressures, but also internal pressures. I don't have a template to follow. There's no script for me, so I have to figure things out. But then there's these outside pressures of dealing with cultural stresses and whether or not there's pushback for them being an interracial couple or whether there's pushback for them being a gay couple. And then internal questions, are we gay? Are we queer? So there's a lot of these pressures and stressors that are working within and without the relationship. So the question you really want to ask yourself is, how are they doing that? How are they not letting those outside pressures and internal frictions undermine what they're trying to build? They've actually been able to take those and use them as ways of building a really strong foundation. Yeah, you talk to some couples who just sounds like, oh, we never have any problems. We all know that isn't true, but that's how some couples come across. They were very open about the fact that they do have these conflicts. They do have these friction points. But it sounds like instead of that being a negative aspect to their relationship, they're using it, as you said, to build a really strong foundation and using that to enhance the relationship. And as they said, sometimes they even get too into talking about their differences and too meta about it. I'll leave that up to them to decide. But what it sounds like is that they're really doing a good job of using those difficulties built into their relationship to actually enhance the relationship. 
And that's the key. That's how they're doing it is this tendency that they have that sometimes goes a little bit overboard to want to, as they said, unpack things and think it through and figure it out. Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? All of those curious questions and trying to get underneath the emotion. That's it. That's the key. If you're asking, how do they do that? How do they, how do they not? have all these problems turn into such a huge problem that it tears them apart. This is the thing. This is the skill. Deepening like that, getting underneath your emotions or really trying to understand what's going on inside of you, that meta stuff that they're doing, that deepening is one of the major ways to get to intimacy. That intimacy is one of the major things that helps them overcome problems and stick together and be close and be valuing of each other and comforting each other. That's the foundation that they're building. It sounds like there's two parts to this. One is the deepening, where you have to go through these often painful experiences, and they don't always have to be painful, but to deepen their understanding of one another and deepen their understanding of their relationship. And as they go through those difficult experiences together, peel back those layers, learn more about themselves. As they said, unpack these things. As they're able to do that in a healthy and open way, that builds then the deeper intimacy, which then lays the foundation for having a really solid relationship and then doing it even more. Yes. So intimacy is the result. And that's the really important glue that holds the relationship and keeps it really worthwhile. One of the things that we tend to do is think of emotions, especially deep emotions, as off-putting or a little bit dangerous, or even just, I don't have emotional energy and I don't have extra time to dig deep and be questioning my own emotions. So when I get really mad, I just put away the mad and deal with it. I don't get underneath the mad and figure out, why am I mad? Why am I so angry? And on one level, that's really healthy because we all need the ability not to be overwhelmed by our emotions. We need to be able to shut it down a little bit or put it away until later. But if I'm just keeping it together and my partner's doing the same thing, over time, without that deepening process, things get really hollow. The connection starts to just wither and we feel like we're disconnected. And that's because we lack that intimacy that comes with that process of deepening. So it's a good idea, even though it seems a little unnecessary or counterproductive at times, to conscientiously take time to do the meta, (laughs) to get underneath what's going on or to unpack. I'm going to take a real hard look at this aspect of myself or this reaction that I'm having. And as I do that and go through that process and involve my partner in that process, now you don't always have to have them there every second. There's sort of an in and out that's helpful when you're building this kind of intimacy that I'm going to do some work on my own and then we're going to talk together and work together. Then I'm going to go back and do some more work on my own. One of the things that David Snarch says about this process is that intimacy is often misunderstood as necessarily involving acceptance and validation and reciprocity from one's partner. That means if I'm going to disclose, you have to disclose too, because that's what people want if they're going to disclose personal information. But intimacy is not the same as closeness, bonding, or caretaking, all of which bring comfort by emphasizing togetherness, continuity, and shared history. Intimacy is an I-thou experience. It involves the inherent awareness that you're separate from your partner with parts yet to be shared. That's one of the most important things that people don't understand about intimacy. I want intimacy to feel like togetherness, but this really important, strong intimacy isn't about togetherness. It requires that I-thou differentiation 
talk about that I-thou differentiation a little bit. Our traditional notion of intimacy, if someone asked me, hey, how do you define intimacy? My immediate response would certainly be, oh, it's a type of closeness. And you're saying that's not actually the case. That's not how to build it, definitely. The result is a feeling of closeness. Isn't that ironic? The the end product is a feeling of closeness when you've built that intimacy. But when you're in the process of building it, what we want, what we expect is to lay the groundwork. A little bit like Sue Johnson tends to talk about. She helps couples go through this process and she calls the deepening softening because We've got all of our battle armor on and one person's withdrawing or running away and one person's kind of attacking or one person's saying, you did this. If you want a couple to really come together, Sue Johnson teaches therapists how to do this, is to get at least one person, usually both, to start the process by going underneath their emotions and getting vulnerable. And she emphasizes that in order to get vulnerable, we need a safe space to do it in. And so if you're just attacking and attacking and attacking or withdrawing and being silent, then that doesn't create a space that grows this feeling of, okay, I want to open up and share. Because once you open up and share, that's when the softening happens because your partner hopefully could see, oh, this is my fear. This is my longing. And fear and longing often allow the other person to say, oh, I can respond to that with caring. Whereas anger doesn't usually elicit that kind of caring response. And a lot of the different things that you want in order to turn toward each other and reveal their deeper emotions is that kind of caring atmosphere. And we talk about acceptance and that you have to accept your partner and allow them to have their opinion and tell them that they're right and reciprocity that there's a back and forth that happens. We hear all of this and we think, okay, well, I'm going to wait till I'm safe then. That's what I want to do. And David Snarsh is kind of pushing back against that and saying that acceptance is nice when you can get it. That validation from the outside is nice when you can get it. That reciprocity is great for the relationship, but... If you're going to build intimacy, you actually have to start outside of that, usually with an I-thou experience, meaning I'm going to bring myself to this relationship and I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm not going to expect you to accept me at the end of this after I've been vulnerable. You don't have to like me more. I want you to like me more, but you might like me less when I share this dark part of myself. You don't have to agree with me, but that's what I really want, right? And you don't have to respond by doing what I just did, which is what I want. I want someone to come back at me and be like, oh, look, I'm going to be vulnerable and soft too. But David Snarsh is saying you can't demand those things in order to start this process. Intimacy happens when somebody has the courage to stand up and say, here's the I, I respect the thou, we're different people, and I'm going to start off by being vulnerable and then acknowledge that you aren't going to get all of those things that you want. You might be rejected. You might have no response at all. You might have somebody respect you less. You might have somebody disagree with you. You might have no validation whatsoever. They might be uncomfortable that you shared and not respond at all in a caring way. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about unilateral disclosure. It happens on my terms because I want to do it, not because you made the safe space not because you made our relationship so safe that 
I just had to share. That's usually not how it happens, according to David Snarsh. Here's what he actually says about that. Many authors and therapists believe that couples gradually achieve the degree of intimacy they want through accumulated experiences of mutual trust and acceptance and empathy and validation and reciprocal disclosure. In all my years of therapy, I have never seen intimacy unfold in this idyllic way. Certainly, I've seen couples who tried this idealized perspective, but it just doesn't work in the real world of marriage. Ironically, intimacy seems to develop through conflict, self-validation, and unilateral disclosure. Empathy is a wonderful thing, and it can connect you in a very real way, and I'm not saying that that's not true. But I think what he's trying to say is that if you're waiting for that to happen, you're going to wait forever. We have to be brave enough to do this softening and this deepening on our own without regard to what our partner might do with it. And we have to have the strength to self-validate and say, this is who I am. This is who I am. And I'm going to share who I am. And I'm going to be soft about who I am. None of us is concrete, but here it is. And then be willing and able to handle whatever the response is. To me, it makes me think about when two people are first getting into a relationship. Phrases that you tend to hear are, I can just tell you anything. You really get me. I tell you things I've never told anybody else. There seems to be at this very beginning level, couples tend to go through this process fairly quickly early on. But really, usually at that point, they're dealing with more so surface level things. And I don't mean surface level as they're not important, but they don't tend to be things that really have a potential to reflect on you negatively, even though they might be things that you don't like sharing. There's definitely such a goodwill at the beginning that you're just happy to share anything. But then what happens is that eventually we share something with our partner and suddenly there isn't that positive response that there almost always is at the beginning. And that's when we start to draw back. And then we think, oh, maybe this person isn't as safe as I thought they were. If we really want to get to that deeper level of intimacy, when we reach those sort of points where the person isn't responding to us in the way that we thought that they would or would think they should, that isn't a bad sign, but that's actually a sign that we're getting into some more deeper issues, which have the potential to intensify that intimacy even further. Yes. And it's not necessarily that they're staying on the surface level. It just comes with experience sometimes too. Say, for example, somebody's had trauma in their past. If they share that in that very beginning stages of courtship, I've had this happen to me and it's affected my life. Their partner might be very accepting because they haven't seen all the consequences. They haven't felt and lived those consequences yet. It's the difference between earlier on you were learning things about the person But then later on, you're experiencing the person and experiencing what that actually means to live with that aspect. Knowing something and actually living it are two very different things. Yes. So that sounds great. We need to reach this deeper level of intimacy, and that comes through confronting more difficult things, whatever they might look like. Now, how do we get there? So some of the ways that it's phrased by David Snarsh is mastering your own anxieties and maintaining your own position. Self-validating, which is providing support for yourself by letting yourself be known. So I'm going to say that I'm okay and I'm going to believe that I'm okay because I am who I am and I don't need to rely on someone else to tell me my worth or to tell me that my position or my personality is fine. That self-validation sets you up for mastering your anxieties. We're coming together but I'm still me and you're still you and we respect that. And that's one of the things that I just loved when they were talking through dealing with the hurt and that they deal with hurt differently. 
if you listen to what Andres and Phillips say about that, it's really striking. The differences are pretty intense. I get angry. I want to fight back. I want to be loud and have people know the hurt that I've experienced. We have the extrovert-introvert dynamic Uh going on. Andres is very in touch with his emotions and feels things quickly and deeply. And I would say that I'm more reserved. I'm also very conflict-averse. I'm much more prone to a doormat approach where I'll just go ahead and deal with it. And I'll get sad, maybe more than mad, and kind of withdraw. These intense differences could be the foundation for a lot of problems. And yet they used this one word in how they described their response. They talked about honoring each other's process. And so it seems like what happened is that they both got hurt. They both got hurt at the same time and in the same way. Andres has this intense response of anger and external push. I need to talk about this. I need to yell about this. I need this to be known that it's not the right thing. And I'm so angry that it happened. That's kind of what you get from that fuego part of him. And then Philip's response, which is also dealing with hurt, is to withdraw and get quiet and get in touch with his inner doormat, not make wave and not want to think about it and talk about it. Philip said, it can feel like I'm not with him. And I think it's easy if you're in the middle of a fuego moment to say, what is wrong with you? You don't care about me. You don't care about this. I feel deeply about this and you're not even wanting to talk about it and you're not getting angry with me. And so you don't care about me. On the other end to say, why are you harping on this? It's like poking a wound. I just want this to stop and you won't let it go. And you keep getting angry, which makes me tense and frustrated. You can see how one partner being like, just stop, just stop. And the other partner being like, you don't care about me. You're not joining with me. And that could result in conflict. And I get the sense that that conflict happened. And this is a really important part of what we're talking about. A lot of us want to skip right to the end and avoid that part because we have such great intimacy. So we're not going to have conflict. We're not going to hurt each other in dealing with our emotions. And that isn't true. I had to live that part first. And I think that the interesting part there, they're not even having a difference of opinion on something. They actually feel the same way about what happened. It's just their reaction is different. The way they internalize it is different. Yes. So the reason they could get from you're not with me and why are you doing this to, oh, we're feeling the same thing and that's a very connecting experience for us is deepening. That's how they did it. We got underneath the fuego, we got underneath the withdrawing, and down underneath that was hurt for both of them. And they were both able to join with each other and say, oh. And that honoring then is the next thing that happens. If I hear that my partner's different than I am, this is where you don't get that validation or you don't get that acceptance. Because Andreas says, I'm feeling hurt. I'm so angry because I'm hurt. And Philip doesn't say, oh, good. Now that I understand, I'm angry too. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> and it's the same thing if Philip's saying, this hurts every time you bring it up. It hurts me again. And I don't want to be feeling hurt all the time. And Andres doesn't say, oh, okay, my fuego's gone. I'm just going to let that go. It's not important. It's not a part of who I am anymore. I'm just going to become like you and we're just going to avoid it. That doesn't happen. That's not what happened. That honoring each other's processes is what comes out of the understanding. They got to the understanding, but this is important. The I, thou is still there. They didn't become each other. They didn't have to become each other. You can join without becoming the same. 
They did the deepening. They have the understanding. They have the intimacy. And yet those differences are still so stark. But they honor those differences. And they talk a lot about finding space. There's space in our relationship for this. So they found space for those differences to coexist in the context of this new intimacy where they said, oh, I get it. You're hurt and this is how you do hurt. Oh, I get it. You're hurt and this is how you do hurt. And we can still join. We can still have this deep intimacy happen through the process of deepening and then also honoring. So it's about understanding the other person, not becoming the other person. You're allowing both of you to be who you authentically are and accepting what comes along with that. It doesn't mean necessarily agreeing with it. It doesn't necessarily mean liking it even, but it means understanding it and accepting it and accepting that this is who they are and being able to recognize the value in that. And Andres says something really great. He says, The whole process of deepening and understanding and honoring gets him to this place. He says, I'm really interested in understanding his perspective because I want to be there with him, reminding myself that he's not the enemy. He's not actually against me because sometimes it can feel that way. Yeah, and I think that was so apparent, again, when they talked about how they'll both have these very different reactions to the same emotions. It's clear that if they're both reacting negatively to the same thing, clearly, as he was saying, they're not the enemies with one another. Clearly, something external is the enemy or is the instigator in this case. But it's about feeling like you're on the same page and feeling like you're on the same team, even when you don't understand why the other person is reacting in the way that they are. And this came up again in a different context when they were talking about being mixed race and being white and trying to bring that together and deal with issues of possible microaggressions and racism. And when Philip was talking about that shift that he had to go through from just kind of dismissing and saying, that's not really what they meant. So this is an example where they're not really on the same page. And it would be easy for somebody to fall into the trap of saying we are against each other. And you don't understand and you can't understand and you're never going to understand and you're not even listening to me. And how come you're harping on this again? So you can go back and forth on that and it's easy to not be able to come together. And yet when they talked about it again, that deepening and Philip really trying to understand what was going on. And also there's this trust in the other person's experience that both of them had to make room. Andreas had to make room for the possibility that somebody might not have meant it. And Philip had to figure out that you cannot mean it and still be hurtful. And is there space for that? Can we give people that much space to say, well, sometimes people aren't trying to be mean, but they actually are hurtful. But then also room for the possibility that not everybody's intentions are pure. And what am I going to do with that? And how can I let him have his experience and also join with him in a different way? Because we thought we had to agree in order to have joining around this issue. But can we have an experience where we disagree about somebody's intentions or we feel someone's intentions differently and therefore interpret them differently? And can we still come together? And can I dig down underneath, well, where is this hurt coming from? And what does it mean for him? And where is this feeling of defensiveness or this feeling of wanting to defend coming from? And what does it mean to him? And they've done that. They've done that work and that deepening process, even when they don't necessarily see things the same way or have the same experience. You hear people say sometimes, oh, I've never felt so seen before. And what they're really saying is, I feel understood. 
And that doesn't even mean I feel like somebody is a copy of me. They don't even necessarily say that person clearly feels exactly the same way that I do. It's they understand me. Yes. And there's another piece to this that I want to point out as we're going through the process. So there's conflict usually, and then you respond by deepening, by trying to get underneath what's going on and say, well, what's this coming from? Why is this important? Asking those kinds of questions. And then there's that honoring process where you allow the other person space and yourself some space to be an individual. And then there's the end piece to this is if you want this to go really well and you want that intimacy to really work and to really stick, then that repair process where you're coming together and you're reaffirming your relationship, that's a really important piece to be able to make this work well. And they talked about this. Andres has a really great thing that he says about repair. So we feel really disappointed when we find ourselves in conflict again, about the same thing again. What's been so beautiful about it is I think we're fantastic at repair. I think we're really good at softening and coming together and being kind and gentle with each other after conflict. Once our defenses are soothed, then we're very aware of each other. And so we'll often ask, what are you needing right now? What can I offer you right now? That's a great question to show caring. And if you listen to Sue Johnson, she talks about what's necessary. If we're going to have this deep intimacy, what are the building blocks of that? Responsiveness to somebody's needs is a really important part of it, accepting that they have fears and to respond with comfort and with caring. But also there's an intention. You have to be accessible to the other person and you have to be emotionally present, as she says, and kind of absorbed in what's going on and really engage with them emotionally. And that attention and then that comforting and caring response when they share, those are the building blocks that she talks about. And that's exactly what they're talking about. They go through and the defenses are soothed and then what are you needing right now? That's such a caring, open, attentive, accessible thing, very engaging. As we go through this process, don't forget to put that tail end of repair on it and come together and start asking those kinds of questions. And then Philip says something great too. I noticed that we can go from, like I was saying, maybe a kind of intense argument to really close and connected an hour later, say, then I feel like that's an indication that underneath whatever turmoil was happening in the moment, there's a real strong foundation. So it sounds like there really are some concrete steps to this process. It's not something that just happens, as we've certainly talked about, that rarely is in relationships. So first off, you have to have that conflict, that bumping up against each other in some sort of way. Once you have that conflict, that then allows you to move into the deepening stage or the honoring stage or the understanding stage, where you say, okay, we have this conflict, and now let's go one step deeper and understand why that conflict exists. Go under underneath it so that you can really see things from the other person's point of view. And then once you do that, you're able to then move on to repair. Is that a fair way of understanding this process? Yes. And we need to remember that the whole thing is self-driven. So again, there's that sense of, I really would like to wait for my partner to do all of those steps. But remembering that I'm the one feeling stress or tension, then I'm the one who's going to be deepening, asking myself those questions and being vulnerable. And then I'm the one that's going to honor my partner's response. And then I'm the one that's going to show caring as we work through this process and not 
falling for that tendency to wait for the other person to do it. The other thing that's really important to understand is that that sounds so good and so concrete. And I love checklists and I love steps and I want to follow the steps. But this process is so incredibly messy because it is difficult and it requires a lot of courage and a lot of insight. So I know exactly what's going on with me and I really understand a lot of what's going on with you and I've worked it all out. And so now we can go through the steps. Like that's not how it happens. (laughs) You have the conflict and then you're like, oh my goodness, this is so crazy. And then you have to talk about it and then you come back to it and you say things you don't mean and you say things that aren't true. So it is a really messy coming and going. Philip actually says something so insightful about about this process. Let's listen to what he says. Mature couples talk a lot about patience, a lot of patience and a lot of grace with each other. Living together for a long time means you start to become very aware of each other's most vulnerable places And you also have all the opportunities to be annoyed at small things. And that just doesn't go away. It's kind of amazing to me how as we deepen our love and our connection, that also means that when we have the occasional argument or fight, it's in deeper territory. And so I think it just requires a lot of patience with each other, of understanding and resetting. And you just do that over and over again. And that can feel a little frustrating, but that's where I think there's a lot of patience that comes in because it's a long game in order to really survive in these kinds of really intensely close and connected circumstances, you have to be pretty generous with each other. So what Philip says about patience is so true. Deepening and building intimacy means more than just having resilience or or coming back from things. It's a big, messy process. But his point is so good that as we deepen our love and our connection, it means that we have the occasional argument or fight. It's in deeper territory. So you also don't finish, which is scary at the beginning to think, oh my goodness, this deepening thing is so hard and I have to be so courageous. My partner isn't loving me like I want them to and they're not responding the way I like. And now I have to do it over and over again. But as you go through the process, that foundation gets stronger and stronger and that deepening gets easier and easier. And you do create a space like Sue Johnson's talking about filled with these wonderful things like empathy and acceptance and validation. That starts to happen naturally. As you go through, then the next time you're going through this deepening process, you're dealing with deeper stuff. That level of discomfort comes back and that level of frustration can come back because it's new territory. You're in something deeper. Going back to this idea of the mature couples, people don't get to be a mature couple because they haven't had any problems. Those people have been together for decades. It's not because they somehow managed not to have any conflict the entire way along. They learned how to do this process and get past their conflict, or not even past their conflict, but leverage their conflict in order to grow with one another. I like what you're saying, each step along the way, because you're going deeper and deeper and deeper, it doesn't get less emotionally difficult. In fact, it even gets in a lot of ways, it just gets more difficult each step along the way. But I think that once you build that initial strong foundation, while it's still difficult to be emotionally vulnerable, like you need to be, I think that what does go away a bit once you do this successfully with your partner over and over is what you lose is a bit of the fear, the fear of oh, are they going to leave me? Is this going to break us up? Are we no longer going to be together after this? Once you have experiences of them accepting you, 
even while it's still difficult to share it, you have that space, as they talked about, you feel like you have that space to be yourself, even if it's still intimidating. Yes, exactly. And there's a lot of hope in that. The other thing to remember is that that deep intimacy that we're building is one of the vehicles for such a satisfying life. All of the things that we talk about when we talk about these relationships, that they're meaningful, that they're strong, that they're long-lasting, that they're unique, that fulfilling aspect of the relationship that we're looking for is a direct result of this process of building this kind of intimacy. And so it's worth doing. It's absolutely worth doing. other thing that I think is really important to point out, and they were a beautiful example of this as well, is that it doesn't have to start with negative things. So some people do have a pretty conflict-free relationship. And a lot of times that has to do with, there's just some people that like to focus on the positive, focus on their own connection and avoid a lot of conflict just in the first place. So if you have two people that respond to negativity or stress or distress in the way Philip does, then you have a lot of accommodation, a lot of avoiding problems, and it feels really smooth. So you don't even have to have a deep, terrible conflict or something that you're mad about in order to deepen and have this process happen. I loved what they were saying about unpacking things that they were given as children or in growing up in that process. All of us are given beliefs and ideas and it's okay to start there too. It doesn't have to be an emotional conflict. For them, it was ideas of gender that really got sparked when Andreas was exploring in the way he wanted to dress and explore the feminine parts of his personality that he hadn't necessarily been doing when they first got together. And so this growth from one person sparked some discomfort in another person. And we don't like to acknowledge that that's true, but that's actually true in our close relationships. A lot of time, one person growing makes the other person feel a little bit uncomfortable or like they didn't sign up for this. And you know what? It is uncomfortable and you didn't sign up for this because everybody's growing and changing and that's not the way it was. But that's the best part of being human and a great way to not get bored as he was doing this, they had to deal with the fallout and what was happening. And they did something very, very important. Andreas says, how do I say, hey, are you comfortable with me in heels without giving him ownership over my expression? So we're back into the I thou. And in this case, it's an I thou that doesn't create necessarily conflict, but is a question of how can I accommodate you and help you to be comfortable? And how do I also be who I am and do this exploring and growing thing that I'm trying to do? And they had to negotiate that. And you can see that their success doing that had a lot to do with this deepening process. Again, I love what Philip says. Let's listen to him and his description of his reaction. Initially, it was a little uncomfortable And now I'm sort of brave with him in public situations and I don't mind and I'm proud to be with him. But that did take some time. That wasn't automatic. And I would try to tell myself that you have to be patient and that it will come with time, but that it's okay that it took a little bit of effort. There's just so much wisdom in that idea that it's okay to give ourselves time to adjust when things change. And when our partner's growing is a good example of change, that it doesn't happen automatically. You have to try. It's not automatic. It takes effort. And then he talks about becoming familiar. That's a really important aspect of this process and being uncomfortable, but also being brave. 
it's important as we go through this, I, thou, okay, thou just changed a little bit. So what's going on for I? I'm going to change. I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I also need to be a little brave, give myself some time, put in some effort. And as I become familiar with this new person and their new aspects, I can be delighted by that eventually, or I can just be okay with that eventually. But it's a process. It takes time. It takes work. And I think that's a reason why the process never ends is because we're constantly changing as people. As they talked about, the person that they were when they met versus when they got engaged versus now are three different people. That can be uncomfortable because we're like, hey, I got used to you from three years ago and now I'm trying to get used to current you. And that can be uncomfortable for both people because one person's like, you know, I know I was like this before. But really, I'm like this now, and that can be scary to express, and that can be uncomfortable for the other person because I got used to you how you used to be, and now I have to get used to new you. In a lot of ways, we're rediscovering the person all over, and we're deciding all over again, do we like the current version of this person? And that's really important to realize as part of this process itself that we tend to grow. Deepening doesn't just result in this wonderful intimacy. It also results in personal growth. As they describe this process of unpacking and then having to kind of repackage for themselves, unpacking their ideas about masculinity and femininity. We don't match the template, so they're actually having to do that a lot. So I don't get to relax into what the script gave me. I have to figure it out for myself. That figuring out process requires them to do this unpacking, this mental deepening of, okay, so who am I underneath this? Or what is important to me and asking those questions. And then there's a repacking that we haven't really talked about. A lot of times I hear from people who have some kind of a learning disorder, that a lot of times the packaging that they were given, so you have this, I struggle in this way. I don't do things the way everybody else does them. And the way people sort of wrapped it up and put a bow on it was this responding to them as if they weren't smart or responding to them as if they couldn't or responding to them as if they were lazy. They're sort of taking on this information about who they are and how the world works or how their world works. And then as an adult, they actually have to take that out and unpack it and say, wait a minute, okay. I do things a little bit differently, but does that mean I'm not smart? I don't know. I'm going to question that. I have done these things. I have solved these problems. I have overcome these things in my life. And it took some smarts to be able to do that. Maybe I have these kinds of smarts. Nobody is smart in every single way possible. So I have these kinds of intelligence down and I have these that I'm working on and these that I'm not so good at. But if I can unpack that and take a look at it, then that conclusion of I'm just not smart, or I'm just not good at math, or I can't read very well, they can unpack that and say, okay, here's the information. I'm going to look at it a little bit differently, draw some different conclusions. This is the repackaging part. And now I'm going to integrate that new information and those new conclusions and this deeper understanding into my idea of who I am and repackage it so I can live with it. And then, you know what happens? A few years down the road, you're probably going to have to unpack it again and take a look at it again. And then there might be a different way of repackaging it and integrating it into who we are. And we do that as a couple too. As we grow as a couple, that process continues and happens for us. What does this mean for us or who we are? I think that that really nicely comes back a little bit full circle to this idea of templates. There's the societal templates, but as we get into relationship, we create our own templates that we think that this is what we should look like. And as you're saying here, those templates change over time because we're changing. So no matter how comfortable we get with one template, there's going to be a time down the road when we need to unpack that again 
and realign it and change it maybe just a bit in order to create a new template that really works for both of us. And I think Philip and Andres are a beautiful example of how to go ahead and do that in lots of different ways. Lots of different aspects of the relationship are open to that process. And so you can use deepening as you approach different kinds of things, conflict and growth and loading the dishwasher, all of that can be enhanced by using this deepening process and asking those questions of getting underneath things or trying to unpack it and explore it a little bit more. Absolutely. And that leads right into wrapping up with our relationship challenge of the week. Our challenge is based off of what we were just talking about of unpacking. Unpacking is important because all of us bring in different beliefs and backgrounds and experiences into our relationship. And it's helpful for us to be able to take a moment to do this deepening and really examine and get underneath our feelings and figure out, why am I feeling this way? What does that say about my history? What does that say about my background? What has led me to this moment where I am feeling this thing about this item? And so for our relationship challenge, this week sometime, find something that you enjoy. Look at something that you enjoy or you and your partner enjoy doing together and unpack it. Figure out why do I enjoy this? What am I feeling right now? Why does it make me feel that way? And once we're able to start examining these things and figuring out why we feel the way that we do, we're then able to make conscientious decisions about is this something that I want to continue in the future or maybe I want to do things a little bit differently. Start out with something that you enjoy so there isn't that risk factor, that scary vulnerability involved in it. And once you get good at unpacking things that are easy, you can move on to things that are maybe a little bit more difficult. And if you want to go even deeper, if that's something that you're used to and you're doing and you want to take it a step further, you can try and bring awareness to that repackaging process and watch how you take what you discover and integrate it into that story, that narrative of what it means to be who you are. Absolutely. And that wraps things up for us for today. Once again, if you want to contact us about anything, but in particular, if you have a couple that you'd like to hear on the show, please go ahead and send us an email at podcast at rekindlelovetoday.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be like Philip and Andres and go out and make love in your life.